All right, well, we thought we'd do something very special this morning. Uh, we had to fly our scripture reader in all the way from, uh, from Korea. She, she, was, she was in Korea. We had to fly her to Waco to read our scripture in Russian. And so let's have Alina come before us, and let's all stand as we get to hear the word of God in all of its beautiful languages. And you can follow along. We'll give you the English under it as well. В Антиохии, в тамошней церкви, были некоторые пророки и учителя. Варнава и Симеон, называемый Никерь, и Луций Кириньянин, и Манаил, совоспитанник Ирода, четвертовластника, и Савл. Когда они служили Господу и постились, Дух Святой сказал, «Отделите мне Варнаву и Савла на дело, которому я призвал их». Тогда они, совершив пост и молитву, и возложив на них руки, отпустили их. Сии, быв посланный Духом Святым, пришли в селе в Кию, а оттуда отплыли в Кипр. И, быв в Соломине, проповедовали Слово Божие в синагогах иудейских. Имели же при себя и Иоанна для служения. Пройдя весь остров до Пафа, нашли они некоторого волхва, лжепророка иудеянина именем Вариисуса, который находился с проконсулом Сергеем Павлом, мужем разумным. Сей, призвав Варнаву и Савла, пожелал услышать Слово Божие. А Элима Волхв, ибо то значит имя его, протилась им, стараясь отвратить проконсула от веры. Но Савл, он же и Павел, исполнившись Духа Святого и устремив на него взор, сказал, «О, исполненный всякого коварства и всякого злодейства, сын дьявола, враг всякой правды, перестанешь ли ты совращать с прямых путей Господних? И ныне вот рука Господня на тебя. Ты будешь слеп и не увидишь солнца до времени. И вдруг напал на него мрак и тьма, и он, обращаясь туда и сюда, искал вожатого. Тогда проконсул, увидев происшедшее, уверовал, дивясь учению Господню». This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I thought we were with her <laughs> for a while. <laughs> we were so close. Uh, that was beautiful. All right, let's, let's all go before Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this uh, multicolor, multilingual, multicultural gospel that you have. And so you got our are just this artist with just different voices, uh, different expressions of your beauty. And so, Lord, we just we want to thank you for that. And, Lord, with, with the beauty of, of this uh, written word, but even, even, even read in a different language, uh, thrill us to something new this morning. Uh, with that beauty of your preached word, of your scripture reach down in the deep recesses of our heart that we may be locking off from others and from you. And so, Lord, would you unlock that opportunity for us to hear directly from you this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a, it's a true story I'm about to tell you. It, it sounds made up, but it's a true story of a man named Larry Walters, and he's from California. Some of you guys may have heard this story before. It's a little bit older, but it's just so ridiculous. We're going to tell it before, again. This man, Larry Walters, decided to go to an Army-Navy surplus store. Uh, and he went to that surplus store and he bought 75 used weather balloons. And then he went to his house and to his driveway. 
He inflated those weather balloons and tied them to a lawn chair that he strapped to his, the bed of his pickup truck. And so 75 balloons with helium in them, and not helium, with uh, what's the? Helium, right, that's what I said. I have to have notes. I got to look at my notes. <laughs> All right, so he, he, he strapped these 75 balloons, and a friend of his then releases the ropes that were tying him to the bed, and he just floats away. Up, up, up he goes, like a modern-day up, right? He, he goes up, 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 and away. Two and a half hours of flying, and he is now over the Los Angeles International Airport, and they have record of, a, of one of the pilots of the 737 who spotted him and said, well, I, I see what looks like a, a UFO, uh, an unidentified flying object. And then he goes, well, oh, I think it's, it, it looks like a perfectly still man sitting in his, is that a lawn chair? <laughs> like, I mean, it's just so absurd that the pilot's like, oh my goodness, and they have it all recorded so you can, you can re- read all this. And so forever this man's name has now been changed to Lawn Chair Larry. Lawn Chair Larry flew all the way up, almost got hit by planes, and so the, the, they're, they're trying to direct him, but how do you talk to this man with, you know, he's got no communication? But then he got scared when he saw planes going by him, and so he, he prepared ahead of time. He brought his pellet gun with him, and so he was shooting some of the balloons out <laughs> so that he would slowly descend back down, and upon descent, it w- he didn't want to go too fast because that would be scary. So it was a very slow descent, and I think he got bored, or maybe he was just scared, uh, but he also packed with him a six-pack of beer, <laughs> and he just drank all of it. <laughs> it's so passed out, <laughs> they find him almost hitting an electric wire, and the, the, the SWAT team has to lasso him back down, and he gets hit with a $4,000 fine for violating federal aviation regulations. <laughs> That was later reduced to $1,500. And he became something of this like minor celebrity after a while. This was like back in the 80s. He really wanted, he started to try to live off this. He tried to do like speaking engagements off of this. <laughs> but right after it happened, an interviewer went to him and asked him, were you scared? And for a church, we'll just say, yes, is his answer. <laughs> and he said, he's like, would you do it again? No. And then they asked him, why did you do it? And he said, I just got tired of always sitting around. (laughs) There's other options you could have used. (laughs) I just got tired of sitting around. And I just feel like many of us are just tired of sitting around. We may not go to that extreme. But I think many of us are, are, are really just bored in church especially. And I think we're, we're just, I think we're also afflicted with this nagging sense that we ought to be doing something, that, that God has called me to something greater, to the, there's this meaningful mission that we're supposed to be part of, and it doesn't feel like anyone is. And, and, and I think the American church in particular has not done a great job of, of, of casting that vision of what this could be, of what, what you have been called to, of that we have this God who is a sending God. One who rides clouds. <laughs> One who sends you on wild rescue missions. Luke 19 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, he comes on this, on this rescue mission. To seek and to save. Not to seek and destroy, but to seek and to save the lost. 
I mean, it is, it is a rescue mission. And I think the more and more that we read the, the, the book of Acts, I'm get, becoming more and more convinced, and so I'm glad we're jumping back into it here. If, you, if you're new with us, we took a break for Christmas. We're just jumping right back into the book of Acts in chapter 13. And I think the more and more that we read this book, I think it is, is there to stir up our hearts to something more than what we, we, we can become settled with. It is, it's to stir the church out of its maintenance mode where we just, we just care about keeping programs running because that's what we do. That, that we, are, we, are, it, we can quickly fall into that trap if we're not careful. And I think even if we as a new church and, we, and we, we have all this excitement about being a new church, we can quickly fall into that trap of maintenance mode and forget that we have a God who has sent us unless we look at the book of Acts. And so I think every single one of us, every single Christian, not just this church, every single Christian is sent by God. And so I want us to see, to look at this, this sending God in the book of Acts 13. And so the sending God uh, in three ways, he, he unites his people, he, he calls his people, and he fights for his people. And so the sending God unites his people. If you look at this passage, it kicks off in, in, in verse one in Antioch. And Antioch is this just phenomenal city. I mean, it's a phenomenal city, but it's really, it's, a, it's a, an amazing church. Verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a, long, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so I want us to see at the outset right here is that one of our core values as a church is, is on display here, that, that Luke takes special care to, to point out that the leadership of Antioch was multicultural. Like, look at it. Paul was a Greek Jew from Tarsus, which was Asia Minor. Barnabas was Jewish as well, but he hailed from the Mediterranean in that island of Cyprus where we're about to go. Then you got Simeon, who's called Niger, which in Latin means black. And then Lucius was Cyrene, was from Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya. And then Manian, and this is, it says, a lifelong friend of Herod. And really what, it, what, what Manian was, he was a foster brother to Herod that they, they brought with Herod to, to be raised in, in, in that, that courtship, in, into, that, into that, that royal room to be raised with him, to be his lifelong friend. And so Manian saw his lifelong foster brother be the one who is most known for beheading John the Baptist, for the one who's, who's presiding over Jesus' his court here. And so Manian goes on to be a church leader, and, 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 and Herod goes on to be just this evil empire, Right? And so it's, it's amazing to see the, that God's mystery and sovereignty and divine grace and how he works over these two, these two brothers here. But of the five leaders that are mentioned here, I mean, one is from the Middle East, one is from Asia, one is from the Mediterranean, and two are from Africa. Like, this is all in a Jewish context. Like, that is just phenomenal that this is the leadership in Antioch. And it wasn't an accident. It was an intentional sign to the surrounding world that, that something bigger unites us. It, it, if you guys remember before Christmas, before we, we, we jump into the, the Advent series, we were looking at that chapter 11 of the, of the book of Acts. And when they first come to Antioch, I mean, Antioch, they had Romans, they had Greeks, they had Jews, they had Africans, they had Persians, they had Chinese, and there was at least 18 different ethnic quarters in Antioch. 18 different ethnic quarters. I mean, that's 18 different ways of doing life. 18 different ways of, of doing things, 18 different cultures. And so every race and every culture thinks its race is superior to the others, right? 
And so they didn't just build walls around the city, which they were very proud of their walled city. They were proud of this big wall around it. But then they had to start building walls within the city to protect them from each other. Because the minute someone lost their robe, another race was blamed for stealing it. The minute someone cut someone off in traffic, they blamed the other people, right? Because they, it, it was, of course it was them. Of course it was them. And then these fights would break out amidst the cultures here. And they, they, so they needed these fortresses inside of a fortress to protect them from each other. They needed walls within the walls to protect them from each other. And they built these walls in a walled city to wall themselves off from each other. But when the gospel comes to Antioch, for the first time in the history People were crossing boundaries and crossing walls and crossing cultures to worship together at this church in Antioch. Let me say that again. For the first time in history, people were crossing walls to worship together. And because of that, the church exploded. They said, what are we going to do? What, I, I don't know what we can call these people. You can't call them, you can't call them uh, they're worshiping the Chinese God or the African God. You can't, you can't say it's the Persian God. They said you have to call them something new, and that's when they gave them the name Christian. There's something deeper that united them there, something deeper than, than, than the culture, something deeper than the, all the differences and all, all of the pain that is, that is pushing us against one another, and it united them, and the church explodes. That's what's happening in Antioch right here. And so we see what happens here, that the Holy Spirit is spreading like wildfire, and then the sending God unites his people to cross these walls into a community. And so I just want to ask you this morning, who might God be asking you to, to cross walls to get to, to unite with? Now, let me be very clear. It's not an abuser that you're being called to unite back with. You, you, that, that's a, something totally different. What we're talking about is, is who are you being called to unite with? With someone who may just annoy you. Someone who, who just frustrates you. Someone you may think you're better than. And that's where we, the God is, the uniting God that, that calls us to that uniting. And so he, he unites his people, but then he calls his people. And so we look at verse 2. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, this is phenomenal, by the way. Okay, so they, <laughs> they had only a year with Saul and Barnabas in Antioch. That, that, that Saul, Saul was, uh, was, was being recruited by Barnabas to come to Antioch to deal with this explosion of growth that was happening in the, in the church at Antioch. He said, I needed help. And so he went, and, and in Acts 11, it talks about him going to Tarsus to look for Saul. He finds him, and he brings him to Antioch, and they ministered for a year. And then God calls them away from the church that they just had this explosive growth at to go out. F.F. F. Bruce, in his commentary on this, says, these two men who were to be released from what should now be called, days called a modern missionary service overseas were the two most eminent gifted leaders in the church. And so the very first organized mission trip that happens is with the, the two most important people to their church that they send away and is one where, the, where they were fasting and they were praying and asking the Lord, what would you have us do? I mean, that, that is powerful that they just said, Lord, where are you going? Where may, where may we follow where you're going? And this is what we mean when we say that we as a church are spirit-led. 
that we are united to Christ in such a way that, that we have this union with him. And from, from that union, it flows all the benefits. But also we're saying, well, if we're united to him, if, if there's all this work going on over in Cyprus, then we got to go there too. That's where God is and we're united to him. And, let, and is he calling us to that? And so that's why they're they praying and fasting. And so is God asking us to go there? And, and it's even at the cost of your most valuable people, right? Even if it means we have to sacrifice and send a group, even if this church has to send a group to go plant another church, how beautiful would that be, right? The, the, the myth in the church is that the bigger, the better, right? The myth in the church is that when the church has more resources, when it has more money, it, it's better, and this is not a knock on bigger churches, because I know some bigger churches who actually know this deep in their bones, that, that in God's economy, that it's not how much you can get, it's how much you can give away. It's how much can you send away and impact the kingdom. And so how can we as a church give away as much as we can possibly? How much can we send? And that, that's, a, that's a marker for us as Mosaic, is how much can we push out? And, and how much can we plant I mean, because when the watching world sees that type of hospitality, that type of generosity, that type of justice, I mean, it's a witness to them. It's evangelism right there because the watching world says, you guys just get together on Sunday mornings, you sit, you listen to music, and you hear some guy blabber. And we say, yes, we gather, but it's that we can be pushed out into this world. It's, 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 to, give us, it's to give us fed spiritually so that we can then go share the food with others because I'm one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So that's what's happening right here, that, that, that God is using this as, as a witness to the watching world. And then when we do gather, we're trying to help you discern your call, where you're to be sent away. And so I want every single one of us to know that we are called. Like, I mean, it's easy to read about this first missionary journey and say, yeah, but God wouldn't do that to me. That, that's Cyprus. I wouldn't go there. And I'm not called. Let me just pop that bubble for you real quick. Every one of us is called. Every one of us is called, and it's not to Cyprus. It may be, but every single one of us is called in some way. Every one of us is called, and you, you may not be called to full-time vocational ministry like I am, you, but that doesn't mean that your calling is any less missional than mine is. In fact, you are encountering more non-Christians than I ever even get a chance to. So you have that opportunity. And so I want to ask you, what skill has God given you to bless his kingdom? If, if you're trying to say, well, how has God called me? What skill has he given you? And you may say, well, I don't have a skill. You say, well, I, I, what, what, what personality has he given you? Are you empathetic with people? God's given you that gift. Maybe you're, maybe you're very organized in your thinking. God's given you that gift. And so now ask the question, if he has called me, where? where? Where most strategically is he calling me to? I mean, Charles Spurgeon used to say it this way, and get ready for this one. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. <laughs> you, you can do Charles. What is he saying by that? Again, we, we, want, we want to think of missionaries as just those who are, are going off uh, to far-off countries for one week a year or for a committed time, and that's not bad. We, I, we, we want to be part of those things. Those things spur on the mission movement, and they're good for what's going on there. But a mission is not just a missionary. It's not just one that goes off. It's a missionary. It's one wherever you go. 
And so the, the, we, are, we say this all the time, and this is the series of the church here, we are church. You are the church. It's not a program. It's not a building. You are the church wherever you're going. You are God's missionary plan to reach this world. There's, you're the plan A. And so you're on his mission team wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. And so I'll just ask you this. How would your life change if you assumed that was true? How would it change if you assumed that you were called? Now all you have to ask is where? To what? To whom? If you are called, and I believe that every single person is, how is he calling you? And that means we as a church have to be committed to this as well. That right now as a church, we are, we are committed to that. We're committed to church planting. We're committed to, 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 as we said, sending that financially, but with our people and our resources as well. And so I, we want to plant more churches. We want to plant more churches that shine the light on God's majesty and, and on, on all his beauty to all of his people, to black, to white, and every shade in between. We're committed to that. And so you might say, well, that's a problem for future us. It's a phrase we like to say in our household. That's a problem for future me. <laughs> No, <laughs> the church in Antioch had Paul and Barnabas for only a year and sent them away. It must have hurt the church. It must have cost them, I mean, to see themselves do that. But here's what happened. I want to ask this question, though. What if Antioch didn't do that? What if they didn't send Paul off on his first missionary journey? They didn't have a second missionary journey, and we don't get most of the New Testament like, what happens if the church doesn't respond to the call? And so I think the question can't be, like, how much does it cost to do the mission? The question needs to be, how much would it cost to not do it? How much would it cost to not respond to God's call on my life? And so our, our job as leaders is not to just gather you and collect you. Our job as leaders is, is to say, you know, where do you feel God's calling you and how can we help you get there? Our job as leaders is to say, what are you good at and how can we, where do you want to be? Where do you want to go and how can we help you get there? And more specifically, how can we help you get to where God's calling you to be? And so that's what we want to be doing here. And then in verse 3, this is important. They've been called, they've been sent off, they feel like they've heard the Lord send them. And then they've fasted again and prayed and laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so I want to ask you this question, like how do you know if you're hearing the voice of God? How do you know if it's God or it's your stomach? <laughs> right? How do you know who, who, who's speaking at this moment? The Holy Spirit spoke to them, and yet they still prayed and fasted to, to test the Spirit. And I believe the Lord speaks to us in, in impressions and in dreams and in thousands of other ways, but those ways will never, ever, ever, ever contradict the Word of God. Right? You, you have to be able to say, that doesn't sound like something God would say. Or maybe it does. And so, let, in fact, let me say it this way. If you want to hear from God, then I would say read his word. If you want to hear from God, look at his word and see, understand his character, understand his will, understand that God, what God is all about and what he's after. And then and there's just a spectrum of people that can abuse this and say, well, I heard, I've heard from the Lord and he said, murder my neighbor. Oh, really? Yeah, they're just being really loud. They play a lot of loud music and they have a lot of fights. And I just, oh, God. I wish you could just take them out. And he said, yes. And so I said, okay, great. I'll listen as your obedient servant and take them out. And I would just, as your pastor, say, let's just look in Scripture. Okay, yeah, that, that, that's not there. Nope, we're good. Don't do that. And so I think if you feel like you're like, well, I heard God just say, cut these corners. That's not God. That's you. 
Or if you heard God say, I just need to maybe not give all the information on my taxes. (laughs) That doesn't sound like God. That sounds like you. I think that's why we say we need to be reading the scriptures so that God can talk to us and we pray back to him and there's this conversation going on there. So that when we pray, we're speaking to him and when we read his word, he's speaking to us. And it's this conversation happening. In that conversation, you can hear him calling you. You can hear what his heart is about as the missionary God sending you on mission. And so I want to ask you this. Are, are, are you in those conversations? Have you asked the question or will you ask the question, God, what are you doing? And just sit and meditate. Listen, God, where do you want me to go with this? And read his word and have that conversation. And so we have the sending God that unites us. He calls us. And let's not forget that we have this God who fights for you. Now we get to the fun part of this passage. (laughs) Where does God send Paul and I'll call him Barney? Anyway, we have this map up here. In verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. You can look at the map there. Sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. In the synagogues of the Jews, they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, and so they have this, this really long journey. And so Antioch is about 16 miles from the sea. Barnabas and Paul set off to the nearest seaport in Seleucia, which it's about 60 miles to, to the island of Cyprus there. And that island is 140 miles long. And they're, they're trekking and traversing across that, that island right there. And, and, and this is how it works here, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so Barnabas and Paul are going first to the synagogues, preaching there, and then through their connections, because Barnabas was from Cyprus, and so it was practical to call him to this mission movement. It was practical to call him there because he knew the people there. He knew the, he knew the places, and then they went out from there. And then what happened? They start reading opposition. They start reaching opposition because word gets out of all the people that start believing because of their mission, and then they get, they get summoned to what's called the proconsul or the governor of the whole island. And at this meeting with the governor, they get some opposition from this magician. Now, this magician is not like, hey, I got a really cool card trick, magician, <laughs> which I do <laughs> after service. <laughs> it's not that type of magician. It's not like even Harry Potter magician. It's evil Lord Voldemort magician. It's dark magic, okay? That's, that's what we're seeing here. And so the, in verse 7, he's, he's brought to Sergius Paulus. The, they said he was a man of intelligence. And, and then in verse 8, But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And so this magician was probably scared of losing his, his position within in this government here. And so he, he, was, he was nervous about what they would do. And so he opposed them. And Saul right here just isn't messing around. Saul gets, you can tell, I feel like he's a pretty uh, bold man, <laughs> makes maybe rash decisions. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Oh, <laughs> this sounds like it's like the fight, like, it's like the Power Rangers are about to morph up, Right? This is like Bruce Bannon enraging. He's like, looked intently at him. Because <laughs> you know what's about to happen here. <laughs> Paul, is, it says he's, he's no longer called Saul anymore. We're giving him his superhero name. And some crazy stuff's about to happen here. And he, he, of course, he's called Paul elsewhere, but the, not anymore. All right, so verse 10, you son of the devil. 
you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for the sun for a time. Immediately the mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And so at the very first missionary uh, outlet, they have, they have this opposition from the devil. Are you surprised? No. Like wherever God is going to be working, the devil's not going to want that to happen. And so there's going to be opposition. And so if you are feeling that opposition, you might be saying, am I in God's will? Am I following his lead? We should expect the devil to push against us. But, but Saul isn't messing around. He's like, be blind. Boom. Blindness. Whoo. I want that power. <laughs> I want that. But what we're seeing here is that our God is fighting for his people. Our God is fighting for his people. He's not messing around. And why, why, does he, why is he so abrupt with this magician? Why is he fighting for him? Well, what happens in verse 12? Then the proconsul believed. And when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so Paul blinds this guy, maybe because he was blinded right before he believed. And so maybe it was an act of mercy to him. But we find out also in verse 12, right then, this act right then makes the governor of the island, the governor who is, who is who's really Rome on Cyprus, believes. I mean, this is amazing because Paul and Barnabas are nobodies, right? We don't even hear about Paul's mission work till after this. Like, like uh, Paul is a nobody in the Roman world. He has no human authority. He has no political standing. They're unknowns. But they're called by God. They're sent by God. And at, at a, against all odds, now it's God who, who is moving them on this first mission. And with the governor of the whole island looking at them, he sees these men fighting for him. And when you see God fight for you, when you see God fight the devil for you, it changes you. It changes him. He believes. And what, what I want this, I think this means here for us at Mosaic is at least two things. And one, that we, we have a God who is a searching and a saving God, a God that is on mission, and he's still on his mission, sending us to seek and to save the lost. He is never in maintenance mode. He's never coasting or drifting. He is sending. He is pursuing. He is calling. He is searching. He is saving. And he's inviting us to join him in that. But also, we have a God who is like a mama bear that when the devil messes with that mama bear's cubs, <laughs> he will fight, he will kick, he will scratch, he will claw, and he will tear at the devil for you. That he will fight for you. You don't have to fight for him, he fights for you. And deep down, Jesus knows that, yes, I have to fight for them, but really the mission of God for me is to die for these people. I mean, the mission of God is for him to come and to die in that place. And so we have a God, the Father, who says, I love these people this much. I'm going to send my son into the lion's den. And unlike Daniel, who comes out free, I'm going to send him to the lion's den, and that's maybe too generous of a term to call these people. Maybe more like the hyena's den, where they scratch and claw, and tear until he's left bleeding on a cross, draining of life. 
And he willingly walked into that for you. Like this was the mission he knew all along from the beginning. I'm going to go. I'm going to live. I know at the very end they're all going to reject me and I'm going to die for them anyways. That's his mission. And he does it for you out of love for you. Our God sent his son for that very reason. Because he had a purpose and he had a plan to reach you and to bring you into that multicultural church. And then he's calling you and sending you out to share that with, with anyone. That is, is, a, is a gathering and it's a scattering. All because he loves you and he fights for you. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you tired of, of being bored like Lawn Chair Larry? Like there is something more thrilling and wonderful that our God does here. That we don't need to be as bored as Lawn Chair Larry. That we don't have a tame God. We have a God that is scorching, <laughs> scorching heat in the warmth of his love. That, that can reach the most hardened heart. That reaches the governor of this island. He can reach anyone here. He can reach that neighbor that you think would never know him. That's how they're the best missionaries are. <laughs> we say, I never thought they would believe. And so we, we, we believe that God is on mission maybe for you to reach them, to be praying for them, to be saying, there's some bread at this church, some coffee, <laughs> come, for you to reach them. But all of this I want to say is we, we can't just do this by out of our own sheer wit, I mean sheer, our sheer grit and say, I just want to go win some people for Christ. You have to, have to, have to. Focus your eyes on Jesus and see what the governor saw, that he is fighting for you. And that is going to fuel you for years and years and years to come. He is fighting for you and fighting for you and fighting for you, and then he dies for you. And then gets back up, and he's fighting for you again. It's the beautiful, beautiful gospel we have here. And I ask you, do you know him? Do you want to know him? Let's pray.